Well, it's so good to be in the house of the Lord together again. Amen. Amen. As I was contemplating what to preach, I was reminded of this couple of passages here. And you probably, depending on your Bible reading schedule, you've probably read this maybe once a month for the however many years you've been reading your Bible, if you follow the one proverb a day uh, pattern, at least many times throughout your life. But we're going to be in Proverbs 30 today. And you could title the message, Small But Wise, Lessons in Wisdom from God's Creation. Our text for today, Proverbs 30, verses 24 through 28. There be four things which are little upon the earth, but are exceeding wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. The conies are but a feeble folk, yet make they their houses in the rocks. The locusts have no king, yet they forth all of them by bands. The spider takes hold with her hands and is in king's palaces. To give a little context of this proverb, we know or we might know that these are the compiled proverbs of a man by the name of Agur, the son of Jacob. His background is not really known. There's really not much said about him other than this this chapter of Proverbs. His name only really appears here. And there's really no other biblical references to him. So consequently, we don't know a lot about him (laughs) other than he qualified to compile or write or dictate, however it was done, this little chapter of many, many pearls of wisdom for us to follow. Now, the introduction of him to us is one of the most quotable verses in the whole Bible, if you ask me. Proverbs 30, verses 1 through 3. The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, even the prophecy... The man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Ukel. So he clearly dictated or wrote these things to others. And then he says, Surely I am more brutish than any man, and have not the understanding of man. I neither learned wisdom, nor have the knowledge of the holy. Now some translations translate this word brutish as stupid, or like a fool, or dumb, or incompetent, basically. So his introduction to the world and the only real reference of himself in the Bible is, I am more foolish or brutish or hard-headed or stupid than any other man, and I have not really learned. Now, I think this is an acknowledgement. This is not a, a factual statement. It's probably hyperbole, because clearly he's very wise if you read through this scripture. He's acknowledging how great God is and how small he is compared to the knowledge of the holy. Now, there have been times when some of my cohorts at Bible school, when we were younger, if we would make a mistake, we would quote this verse and say, I am surely more brutish than any mother man. I apologize or something like that. And then we would counter with Job, you are a miserable comforter, and we would have fun with Bible verses. But this is a a humble verse here, acknowledging, I don't know, everything, and I I know little, but what he gets and gives us in this book is very important. It's a collection of, it's written basically in two parts, 
the verses 1 through 9 where he expresses his humility, his trust in God. And then verses 10 through 33, he gives a series of numerical sayings. There are three things which are this, or four things which are that, that are observations about life. They have many themes and topics. The perfection of God's word, the dangers of lying, slandering, or dishonoring your parents, the need for moderation and contentment with all things. He contrasts the wicked and the righteous, the proud and the humble. He gives us lessons from nature, from animals. He gives us the mysteries, the mysteries of the creation, human relationships. This whole chapter is about all of these things. But what we're going to focus on today are these four little creatures and observing from God's creation the wisdom that is there. And I was so impacted by this because he's literally, you can almost get a sense of him walking on a trail or something or wherever he was going and just looking around and seeing God's cre creation and gleaning from it. And that's something that we can all do. Many of you know I like to golf and I like to go out golfing for me. It's a nice little stress relief, although it can be stressful at times if you're not hitting the ball like you should. But for me, that the actual performing of the game is is a something that I try to at least be good at. But for me, the best part is I I get the earliest possible tea time that I can, six a.m., five thirty, whenever, depending on what the sunrise where we are in the, in the sunrise schedule. And I go out in a cart or a walk by myself. I leave my phone in the car and completely disconnect from work because you guys all know I have a pretty busy job and I'll get emails and calls th throughout the day. And it's so nice to just unplug and drive around a golf course, hit the ball, and just appreciate the beauty that is out there. If you've ever, many of you, I'm sure you've seen golf courses before and the really nice ones, they're so beautiful. Just the rolling hills and the trees and the sand. And then you'll get animals who come out. I've got so many pictures of deer and eagle. I saw an eagle once out perched on a little hill. And just taking pictures and just appreciating God's nature and what God created. And here in this verse, you know, these verses, he's drawing on that. And it's a, it's a biblical thing. Uh, Romans 1.20 for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We understand who God is by understanding what he made, by understanding what he created. Another great verse for this is Proverbs 8, verses 30 and 31. So that the waters might not transgress his command, where he marked up the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children. This is, of course, from the perspective of Jesus. But again, he's delighting in the creation, learning from the master workman about himself by what he created. And you can, from a craftsmanship perspective, you can learn a lot about the creator of the thing by looking at what they create. I, I reference one of my one of my best friends in this world, uh, Pastor Aaron Viola from from Jamestown. He is a master craftsman, and watching what he does with cabinets and 
the woodworking and the tr the custom trim and base molding and all the things that he does, you can learn a lot about him because everything is perfect. Everything is exactly where it should be. There's not one thing wasted. And there's an explanation for every corner and nook and cranny. And to me, that's the coolest thing because it's something that I am not good at. I cannot do what he does. I mean, he's applied his life to it and his livelihood to it. But you can learn a lot about somebody by watching what they create or if they do create something. And it's a good thing. <clears throat> Excuse me, Job 12, 7 through 10. But ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall teach thee. Or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee. And the fishes of the seas shall declare unto thee. Who knows not in all these things that the hand of the Lord has wrought this? In whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? I don't know how you can look around at this beautiful creation and not believe in God. How everything is exact. Pastor Bailey used to say what? Mathematical exactitude. It's not a phrase that rolls off the tongue, but I think you understand what I mean, what he meant. Everything is perfect in perfect working order. And it didn't just happen. You have to look around and appreciate God through his creation. And it's a wonderful thing. So let's look first at our good friend, the industrious ant. The ant teaches us to be prudent, to be industrious, and to prepare for the future and not be lazy. In your mind, recollect, try to remember a time where you saw an ant that wasn't moving. Unless it was dead, of course. <laughs> when did you, have you ever seen an ant not moving going somewhere, doing something. It's preparing for something. It's building. It's going to gather. And we can apply this wisdom to our own lives in the same way. Planning, being proactive, being diligent, being prudent. Proverbs helps us out again because there's another little section of verses that talks about an ant. Proverbs 6, <clears throat> verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food and harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber. This is another quotable verse. <laughs> a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So the, the ant, always moving, always diligent, always preparing, going somewhere, being proactive. I talk to my team at work a lot about being proactive. We manage very complex, very large projects, and the worst project manager is the one who's always reacting to something happening to them. You're always on your, your heels, you're always getting pushed back, and you got to fight forward. So I always tell my team and help coach my team, anticipate what's coming next. You know who you're dealing with. You know the product. You know the, the solutions that we're trying to do. Be proactive. Come up with a plan for if, if something does happen. Don't just wait and let it happen to you. Anticipate. Move forward. What's the worst that could happen? You wasted half an hour to develop a contingency plan and you don't need it, that's a good thing <laughs> to not need a contingency plan, right? 
Ants are always thinking that way. They're proactive. They're preparing for the winter harvest so that when it comes, they have food. Try, think of a student. Now, again, I was referencing Bible school here. There were some students when I first got there who were consistently asking for extensions for their homework assignments. And I, I could never understand that. Um, because you know when it's due, they give you plenty of time to study. And we were doing work on the new building, the ZA, the ZA building at the time. And a lot of the male students like myself were working after class, after dinner on the building to help. And we still got our homework done. And then there were other folks who would come down and they didn't have their work done. And I'm like, why? why? I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. So they would ask for extensions. They would always be late. And then when exam time came or paper time came, they didn't understand or grasp the concepts. And to me, that, was, that would be embarrassing. Um, or think of an athlete in the off season who just completely lets his body go or her body go. And then come spring training or fall time for football and they're 50 pounds overweight and can't touch their toes anymore. It's too late now. You have wasted an entire summer trying to rehab or get better by just letting yourself go. Those athletes don't last very long. The soul, uh, Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of the sluggish sluggard desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. How can we be more diligent and more responsible? <clears throat> well, kind of a guiding verse, a guiding guideline or guidepost verse for diligence and responsibleness is, is Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Again, very quotable. You've probably heard it a million times. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from there, from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. God gives you the job. God puts you in the position. God watches over and guides you in that. You work for him. And I've, I've kind of held on to this verse throughout my life because I've had great bosses and I've had terrible bosses. And if, you, if I allowed myself to be led or guided or turned by which boss I had, I would have had 50 different jobs probably because I just go from one to another until I found the right one. And then I'd be upset by that person and then I'd go find another job. But I've been in this industry for almost 30 years now and I've had four, maybe five jobs total. And it's because the Lord gave me the job. He put me there. Regardless of who is over me, I'm working for him anyway. So it doesn't matter. So being diligent is, all right, and there's been times we've all had them. You come into your office and you're like, Feel like being here right now and it's very hard now because we're remote I work from home and so when I wake up and I go to my my office and I sit there I'm like I'm just gonna go back to bed and it's easy because it's only about 25 feet away <laughs> and I think of that verse a little sleep a little slumber I'm like oh a little folding of the hands the rest would be great right now but I'm working for the Lord now um so it's a reminder of being diligent, doing everything you do as if you're working for him. Now, I used to use this verse as an excuse for being 
super competitive in sports and I'm playing volleyball for the Lord. Oh, I'm going to smash this ball in your face. But it's not that, but it's being mindful of everything we're doing to a standard of excellence, not because we're pleasing men, because we're pleasing him who put us there, right? And being prepared. Think of the 10 virgins. Five of them were like these ants. We're going to keep our oil ready. We're going to keep our lamps ready. And five were off doing whatever, but they weren't monitoring the situation, they weren't being proactive. What happens if he comes back in the middle of the night and we don't have enough? That's a question you would want to ask. And they missed out, right? Because by then it was too late. The humble coney. The humble coning. First, they teach us to be humble and to, ca to be cautious, to acknowledge our weakness and to seek refuge. Now, you may be like me the first time I read this and go, what is a coney? Well, let's talk about it. A coney is a small furry animal, and I actually have two pictures. Would you mind putting the first one up? They're kind of cute, actually. <laughs> this is a coney, or a rock, also called a rock badger or a hyrax. It's an animal that inhabits the mountains and the gorges in Arabia and in the Holy Land. Proverbs 30, 26, they're a feeble folk, yet they make their house of rocks. They are described in Leviticus and Deuteronomy as chewing the cud, although they do not have a ruminant stomach like, like oxen or, or sheep. A video, which I wish I could have figured out how to make it work, was it's because when they're, they feel threatened or need to be aggressive, they chomp their jaws, like think of it, teenager chewing gum and chomping and, and they click their teeth to kind of try to intimidate because clearly they don't have a whole lot of defense mechanism. They're just, they're these cute little things, right? They're, they're described as a rock badger, but, and they're kind of, the word translates, shafen is as the hider is what the word in Hebrew means, as one who hides. It's about the size and color of a rabbit, although they have no tail and they don't have claws that can dig, so they don't burrow, which is why they hide in rocks. They can't dig holes in tunnels, so they hide in rocks. So they hide in these clefts of the rock. The next one, if you want to see another cute picture. Very interesting looking creature, right? Because again, there's no tail. They've just got these little paws and they're just up there chilling around, leaning on the rocks and hiding in the rocks. They're very resourceful in finding shelter because they're very vulnerable because they don't have claws. They have teeth to bite, but they're very vulnerable to attack. So they do what they can to hide and run. So what can we learn from this? We learned that we find, this one should be obvious, they make their home in the rock. So we learn to find security and strength in God, who is our rock and our refuge. <clears throat> Proverbs 18, verse 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I was thinking of, weirdly enough, I was thinking of Joseph here. Joseph recognized his vulnerability with Potiphar's wife. He knew something, he knew he was vulnerable. And the danger of someone who relies on their own strength would be to stay there and say, oh, I can fight this off. I can resist this. 
I can take care of this on my own. But Joseph said, nope, I'm getting out of here because I know I'm vulnerable. That is the mark of true courage. That is a mark of true self-awareness, to use a modern term. But he says, I'm vulnerable. I got to get out of here. I got to run away. There's a time to run and there's a time to fight. And for Joseph, this was a time to run. Let's get out of here as quickly as possible to the point where he even was running as she was grabbing his coat. He said, forget it. I don't even need the coat. Let's just get out of here. There's wisdom in that, right? There's wisdom to run when you know you're going to lose. There's a saying, uh, if you aren't a wrestler in high school, you might not understand, but wrestlers get this condition called cauliflower ear. Boxers get it too, anybody in grappling, where the cartilage breaks down in your ear and it puffs up and then it hardens and so forth. There was a saying, like, if you saw a guy who, who had really hardened cauliflower ears, that's someone who's been through a few scraps, if you will. So that's a time to run, not a time to fight, because you'll probably lose. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm okay saying, I'm running. I'll see you later. I'm not a young man anymore. I don't want to fight. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> We learn from the conies to be humble, to know and recognize our vulnerabilities, and to rely on God's strength, not our own. Now we go to the locusts. What do we learn from locusts? Locusts in Scripture generally have a negative connotation, don't they? The locusts coming in like that. But here, it, they give us wisdom. They teach us to be united and cooperative, to work together for a common goal and not be selfish or divisive. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says, if, we, if they fall, one will lift them up and his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falls, for he hath not another to help him up. Solitude, isolation, being alone, it's a terrible feeling. That's Ecclesiastes 9.10. It's a terrible feeling, to be alone, it's a terrible reality to feel alone, but it's also dangerous. How many times have you read or heard a story about a hiker or somebody who just went off hiking on their own, very experienced, probably very knowledgeable, but something happened and they never were heard from again because there was no one there to help them when they fell or with whatever happened. That's dangerous. Scary. Locusts are never alone, and they have no real leader or ruler, according to what it says here, Proverbs 30, 27. The locusts have no king, yet they go forth, all of them, by bands. They seem to instinctually know where to move and where to go. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27. We're not going to read it. It's a common scripture where it says, the body of Christ is all one with many members. We're all different. We all have our own place, our own role. We have an ear, we have a toe, we have a hand, we have an eye. But not one member, but one, but many members as part of one body. Later on, he says, there's no schism in the body, but they're all members have share one common goal, one for another. And when one suffers, we all suffer. And when one prospers, we all prosper. This isn't group, group think or anything like that, but it's recognizing that we're all 
part of something bigger than ourselves. We flow into that body of Christ together. Think of the church in the, the early church in the book of Acts. Many, they were, they, they were spreading and swarming all over the earth. There wasn't really any one person in charge. They had a, a council that they kind of were subject to, but not really. They just went wherever the Holy told, Spirit told them to go, and they went all over the place. They were subject to one another, for sure. Paul taught it. Peter taught it. James reinforces it. Be subject one to another and let the Holy Spirit guide it. And look at what they accomplished in a very short amount of time. They were one body, one focus, one heart, one soul. Acts 4, 32 and 33. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. They're even sharing resources with each other. Hey, I have more than what I need. You look like you need something. Here, take some of my extra stuff. What a, what a great way to live. <laughs> Where they literally are supporting each other and just following the Holy Spirit. How can we apply this to our lives? Well, we can evaluate our relationships and how we support and interact with each other for sure. Because I have a feeling, as we're probably going to be learning over the next few weeks in the second coming classes, this is going to be very important to be able to flow with, live with, support, and be subject to one another as we go and affect the earth in whatever way the Lord has for us. The dangerous place is the person who's alone, right? Think of that. Think of how that would be. It would be terrible. Falling down with no support. What a terrible thing to be in. So we learn from the locust to flow together as one body, one mind, one soul, one spirit. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto them love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so, so much the more as you see the day approaching. These scriptures command us to love and support one another. There's a guy I work with. He's, a, he's also a, a fellow believer. <clears throat> and we have, on occasion, we'll, well, we work on the same team. So we talk to each other all the time. We don't always talk about scriptural stuff. Mostly it's about work. But he, he got a great opportunity uh, as part of this uh, new business venture that we're doing. And he got a great opportunity to um, kind of lead part of the effort. And a part of me was like, oh, I really would have liked to do that. And, I was, and I'm like, wait a minute. He's a fellow believer. This is great for him, which means it's great for me. And there's other opportunities coming my way too. So I called him. I said, hey, man, that's awesome. I'm so happy for you. And he's like, I'm so nervous. I'm like, well, I'll be praying for you and help you out. Because like, and I quoted this verse from Corinthians. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one prospers, hey, man, that's great. You're doing good for us too. And it was, it was, it was so amazing because that little, just a little sliver of me that said, oh, I wish I could have had that. That would have been nice. It went away immediately. And it was just a little thing. It wasn't like I was losing sleep or pouting or anything. But it was just that little thought of, ooh, I could have done that. And I could have done that too. 
But the Lord's like, no, when we all, one prospers, we all prosper. And so I called him. I said, man, that's great. Great job. And it literally went away immediately. And I was so thankful. And I'm happy for him because he's doing well in that position. All right, finally, the adaptable or cunning spider or lizard, actually. Interestingly enough, I was looking this verse, this word up. Proverbs 30, 28, semamith, S-E-M-A-M-I-T-H. It's either translated spider or lizard, depending on the context. Some Jewish and Christian scholars prefer to translate this word as lizard, and you'll see it in other translations. I think the ESV says lizard, as do others. The lizard is small and feeble, but can enter the king's palace by finding its way through the cracks. It's also very adaptable. It can Some lizards can even change their skin, their skin color to blend into their surroundings and so forth. But I also like that it can be translated spider too because the spider is cunning. It uses its resources to kind of be creative. It creates a, a web and can literally just build a habitation anywhere with its hands and be cunning and crafty with the gifts that God has given it to make a place in a king's palace, right? Now, here, now there is another spider word for spider that's more frequently used referencing a spider. It's called akabish, A-K-A-B-I-S-H. I am not a Hebrew scholar. I'm just telling you what the Strong's Concordance told me this morning when I looked it up. But it seems lizard fits here a little bit more appropriately, but you can use them both. To be persistent, it teaches us, talks to us about being persistent and adaptable, overcoming obstacles to reach high places by God's grace. <clears throat> so I thought of 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. Paul has been approaching the Lord multiple times about an infirmity, about uh, some weakness that he had. We don't know what exactly it was. But the Lord says, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will glory in my infirmities. This is a great little interaction because the Lord replies, My strength is perfect. My grace is sufficient. And my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And then mid-sentence, mid-thought, Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, I will rejoice in my infirmities that the power of Christ may take, may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, and persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am made strong. He's adaptable. He says, okay, move on. The Lord says, I prayed. I asked, he says, three times he prayed. The Lord says, my grace is sufficient. He says, okay, then we'll adapt. Now, some thought, some think, it had something to do with his eyes, where he had poor eyesight or something along those lines. I don't know. I'm not a scholar again. But there was a couple verses, and I think it was Timothy, where he says, I wrote with my own hand these large words. And I heard Pastor Karim explain it once. They were large because they were impactful, but they were large because he also needed to write big with his own hand so he could see what he was writing. He was adaptable. He said, okay, we'll just write big letters then. You know, I love that thought of this is where we are. This is what God has given me. This is how I'm going to adapt. And the lizard, like you said, was a little crack. Well, I'll just use my skinny little body to fit. There's a predator. Okay, I'll just blend in with this rock over here so it can't see me. 
can't fight back. He can't do anything else. So he adapts. There's another thought. If you wanted to insist on the KJV and stick with the spider thought, you could think about ingenuity. You could think about craftiness. You could think about cunning. It's a small creature, but it's very skillful, very smart, very cunning. It spins the web to catch its prey, but it also is the house in which it lives. It shows us that God has given wisdom to all creatures, to all people, and we need to use whatever wisdom he gives us and if we do, we could end up in king's palaces, just like that spider, just like that lizard. So we, encur- we are encouraged by, the, by this verse to be adaptable, to be resourceful with what God has given us. I don't, I don't know how many conversations I've had with people who say, well, I can't sing like you can. And I can't sing like I used to anymore either. So I just say, well, what can you do? You might not be able to sing, but you might not need to be able to sing. First of all, Scripture says make a joyful noise to the Lord. It doesn't care what you sound like. Now, if you're leading worship, you probably want to be at least be able to carry a tune, but home being worship, what can you do? Well, I can do this. I think of my good buddy in Bible school. He, he was very skilled mechanically, wasn't, and he just literally knew he could fix anything. And he, I don't know how many cars he fixed, including my own, And I would insist on paying him, and he would not take any money. He's like, this is my gift. This is what God's given me, and this is how I bless other people. He was using what God gave him skillfully, craftily, to help and benefit the body of Christ, which is awesome. You know, you think about Daniel. He's a small teenager, feeble, taken from his home. And what did he have? He had wisdom, and he used that wisdom to influence Not just the nation that stole him, but the nation that overtook the nation that stole him and the following nation after that. He used what God gave him to be resourceful, to to impact others. So as we close, God's creation is marvelous. It's perfect. And there's so much we can learn just by looking around. Go for a walk and just appreciate. And that's all this man, Agur, apparently did. Because if you look at, if you read the entire proverb, next time, well, we're, it's the 28th, so in two days, read Proverbs 30 and reflect, look, and, and just look at him, talking about a serpent on a rock or the boat in the sea and just observing all around him and saying, look at what God is speaking to me out of this. A man by his own confession who was not super intelligent or very gifted in the knowledge of the things of the holy, and yet... By being observant and listening to the Lord, he crafts this beautiful proverb that for no other reason other than God put it here. You don't talk about him anywhere else. You don't hear about him anywhere else. He's not quoted anywhere that I could tell. And here he is for all eternity just because he was observing nature and God's beautiful creation. And just think about the things we talked about today. You know, the ant being being diligent, being purposeful. You know, the the coney, the rock badger, you'll remember that cute little face, I'm sure. Understanding your own limitations, your own weaknesses, falling on the rock. The locust, being all part of one body, focusing on him. And then, of course, the, the last one, the being adaptable, the spider, the lizard, being adaptable, being focused on him.
All right. Father, we thank you for this word this morning. We thank you for giving us your beautiful creation that we can draw from, that we could tap into. And we thank you, Lord, for how you speak to us, even just through our surroundings. And we just ask by your grace, Lord, that we would apply these things to our lives, that we would be diligent and purposeful like the ant, that we would recognize our own vulnerabilities and fall on you as our rock. Lord, that we would support and love and encourage the body. Lord, we would be adaptable and move as you guide us. Lord, we thank you for these words and we just ask that you would seal them in our heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sarah.